to the Thunkers. My name's Zeb. I am your host as always. And similar to the episode I did on Jim Thorpe, this week's episode is going to be on a specific person from history. But instead of one of the most influential athletes of the 20th century, this episode is about Simo Heha, the deadliest sniper of the 20th century. Before I get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, some of my listeners have been happy to point out how terribly I pronounce foreign names and words on this podcast. <laughs> I thought this was a good episode to change that up a bit. When I was in elementary school, they taught us to they taught us the alphabet and told us to quote sound it out. That's the method I still apply today to words I am not familiar with, hence the horrendous pronunciations. I will make my own interpretation of foreign names and words, but starting with the episode, this episode, I will then play a recording of the correct pronunciation according to the people who live in the appropriate foreign land. I stumbled on a website called Forvo.com. That's F-O-R-V-O.com. They aren't paying me a dime to talk about them. You know, I'm not sponsored by them, but their service is pretty cool. It's just a user-generated pronunciation database. So where I say Simo Heha, Finnish people say... Simo Heha. Simo was born in 1905 um, in a small southeastern village called Rautjarvi. Let's see how Forvo pronounces that. Rautjarvi. This town of Rautjarvi, uh, obviously, are definitely located in Finland. And Simo was a quiet farmhand who mostly kept to himself, but was considered a kind man by his fellow villagers. His early life consisted of a typical Nordic country folk's life. He worked in the farm and at a young age showed promise as a hunter. Simo spent a considerable amount of time of his childhood hunting small game in the forest, of which Finland has plenty. Today, around 65% of Finland's total land area is covered by forest. Surely, the forests were even more plentiful back in 1905. Forests are like water in Finland, ever-present, including the major cities. And these are boreal forests and are known for being especially cold and unforgiving. Not to mention, there's a lot of bears in Finland, so pretty dangerous place. Simo's weapon of choice while hunting small game as an old, was an old bolt-action rifle. His hunting rifle was a Finnish-produced Molson Nagant M2830. It was a variant or modified version of the Russian-made Molson Nagant M2091 rifle. The Finnish modification made the Molson Nagant shorter and heavier than the Russian rifles, and this Finnish modified Russian rifle had a nickname, Pistikorvo. Pistikorva. Uh, let's see how Forvo pronounces that. Pistikorva. Now that nickname Pistikorva, it translates to pointy ear. That is what these Finnish snipers nicknamed their Mosnagant 2830s because the iron sights at the end of the barrel had abnormally high pointed sides. And they looked like little ears on the edge of their rifles. Simo's particular rifle had a serial number of 60974, you know, just in case you're looking for a cool pin code to use on something. He said he kept his rifle clean, checked it before and after mission, and never had a jam. The Pistacorvas were known for their reliability. And Simo never used a magnifying scope, just the weapon's iron sight. During a skill test, Simo was able to hit a target 150 meters. That's about 492 feet or 1.64 football fields, if you judge distance like I do, away, and he hit this target, the one that was, you know, 492 feet away, hit it 16 times in just one minute. Once Simo began his obligatory one year of Finnish military service at the age of 17, he was able to bring his hunting rifle with him, but 
he was also issued a 9mm Suomi KP-31 submachine gun in case he got into close quarter altercations. Little side note here. If anyone listening is wondering what to get me for Christmas, I want a Mosin Nagant 2830, you know, just in case the Russians invade. And by the age of 20, uh, Simo finished his mandatory military service, and he had been promoted to the rank of corporal. It was around this time in his life that he took part in several skiing and shooting competitions, which sounds like some James Bond stuff to me. Simo was a legitimate biathlete, um, but the skill that shined the brightest was his shooting, his marksmanship. As his home was filled with medals for marksmanship, that's what they say, anyone who ever went to an interview him or anything, medals everywhere for his shooting prowess. Most Finnish men of his time joined the national militia after their compulsory service. Simo was no exception. The Finnish national mi- militia is called the Sojul- Sujelskunta. Let's see how Forma pronounces that. Sujelskunta. So the Sujelskunta took young Finnish men and trained them not as career soldiers, but as a militia. That is a group of fighting men that could be ready in a moment's notice when their country needed them most. Just as a reference point, the American Revolution used a militia that they were known as the Minutemen. They did the same thing. They were just regular people who had regular jobs, farmers, merchants, and such. But they had they were they were armed by the government and they were allowed to they were trained to deploy at a moment's notice. Simo joined the Socialist Junta, was trained on how to deploy if needed, then went back to his life as a farmhand. Simo spent his days tearing through shooting and skiing competitions, hunting small game and tending to his humble farm, tucked deep within the Finnish wilderness. For a time, life marched on as it does. That is, until his Finnish homeland needed him most. Now, in 1939, the Soviet Union signed a mutual non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. This pact included a classified clause that apportioned the countries of Eastern Europe to each signing party. This secret clause laid out plans for Hitler and Stalin to carve up Eastern Europe as they saw fit. The plans went into action on September 1st of 1939, when Germany invaded Poland from the west. Soon after, Russia invaded Poland from the east. The Soviets and Nazis' plans had been laid bare for the whole world to watch in horror. It wasn't long until the Soviets took control of the Baltic countries and began to look to their western neighbor, Finland. The Soviet Union demanded Finland move their border 25 kilometers, that's about 15 miles back from the Russian city of Leningrad. The Finns refused this demand, obviously, and so the Soviets reportedly staged an incident at the border. They used this incident as an excuse to attack. And on November 30th of 1939, Soviet Russia declared war on Finland. This war would be known as the Winter War. What a cool name. Now, Zemo wasn't a politician. He was a simple farmer. He didn't hold a particular grudge toward Stalin or the Soviet communist way of life. He cared little for the world's political ideologies. But he was, like most of his fellow Finnish men, independent. He liked his freedom to live the life, to live his life the way he was raised. So when his home was being invaded, it didn't matter who the invader was. It didn't matter if the Russians' fighting force greatly outnumbered that of the Finns, and the Soviet Union was known as has been always been known as one of the strongest armies to have ever existed. They outnumbered the Finns. While the Finnish people had about 300,000 soldiers, the Soviets had anywhere between 400 and 800,000 soldiers. Where the Finns only had tanks in the double digits, the Soviets had about somewhere between 3,000 and 6,000 tanks. 
and where the Finns only had a, a little over 100 aircraft, the Soviets had 3,800 aircraft. So they were quite outnumbered. Simo didn't think twice. He grabbed his rifle, left his farm behind, and reported to the front line. He joined the 34th Infantry Regiment north of Lake Ladoga. The 34th was up against the Soviet 8th Army, and the 8th Army was looking to make a quick invasion, quickly getting across the Kolonyoki River uh, near the border. I couldn't find a pronunciation for the Kolonyoki River, so I just had to settle for my own. Now, it was so well known in military history circles, like military history nerds such as myself, um, that you don't invade Russia in the winter. And I will repeat that. Do not invade Russia in the winter in case you ever find yourself ahead of an army. Uh, throughout known history, everyone who has ever tried to invade or fight Russia during a winter has lost to the Russians. Well, that applies to Russians themselves. You see, Russia had uh, taken over or had captured the region of Finland from Sweden, Sweden, in 1808 and 1809 winter, the emperor of Russia back then, Alexander I, gave Finland the status of Grand Duchy. That's D-U-C-H-Y. Don't know how to pronounce it. Not, didn't feel like looking that up. Uh, Finland was granted its own parliament in 1906, and the first elections were held in 1907. So they were given their independence. But, you know, only about a, only a little over 100 years before the Winter War, Finland was part of Russia. So you see, Finland used to be part of Russia. And now the Russians were trying to invade an old part of Russia during winter. So, and they were not prepared for it. So it applies to the Russians themselves. Don't invade Russia in the winter. Don't invade an old part of Russia during the winter. The Russian-Finland border was hardly an infrastructure, infra, had any, hardly any infrastructure at all. It was just boreal forests as far as the eye could see. But the Soviets weren't ready for that either. To make things even worse for the Russians, in 1939 was one of the harshest winters in modern history, even by Finnish standards. And in Finland, it's known for being cold all the time. Now, that winter, there was snow up to two meters. That's six and a half feet deep. And temperatures were as low as negative 40 degrees. Fun fact, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit is the same as negative 40 degrees Celsius. So that's cold no matter where you're from. <laughs> and as I said earlier, the Russians greatly outnumbered the Finns. They also had much more artillery tanks and aircraft power. The Finns wouldn't stand a chance in an all-out upfront battle with the Soviets. So much more like the Minutemen of the Revolutionary War, they resulted to guerrilla tactics to undermine their formidable enemy. To quote a terrible remake of a cool 80s movie, even the tiniest flea can drive a big dog crazy. That's from the 2012 adaptation of Red Dawn. Chris Hemsworth character says it. Just because it was a bad movie doesn't mean it's a bad quote. The analogy here. The Soviets were a very big dog, and the Finns were a very efficient flea. So instead of going to the Soviets head-on, the Finns used their knowledge of their homeland and experience in living through their harsh winters to their advantage. They deployed squads of Finnish soldiers on skis who were able to outmaneuver, infiltrate, and evade the clunky Soviets. Most of these Soviet troops uh, were from Leningrad. They weren't used to the bitterly cold Finnish winters, and most weren't equipped for a long, drawn-out confrontation. While the Finnish soldiers had home field advantage and were outfitted with skis, <clears throat> most Soviet soldiers didn't even know how to ski. So they had to result to digging trenches in the snow. The difference in mobility between the two forces here was significant. Now, like most of his fellow soldiers, Simo wore an extremely insulated and heavy snowsuit, fur mittens, 
and a makeshift ski mask. It looks pretty brutal if you look up pictures of him wearing his uh, sniper mask. Every visible stitch of clothing on Simo Heha uh, was white. He blended in perfectly with his surroundings. Starting with the war as a starting the war as a corporal, Simo was able to choose to work alone. All of his life, he had stalked these forests all by himself, and during the Winter War, he relied on his instincts just as he did hunting game. In fact, he used every skill he had learned from his years of hunting game against the Soviets. Simo used military intelligence and hunting expertise or experience to track each target. He had a great deal of patience and used that when waiting for the right moment to take his shot. On top of that, he was very good at covering his tracks. The Soviets were hard-pressed to find out where he had trekked or where he had waited. Every time Sima went out, he only took one day's worth of food and just a few clips of ammo. It comes to about 50 to 60 rounds. Once he carefully chose a good spot to make his sniper's nest, he would build up snow around himself as to appear as a small mound of snow at a distance. Then he placed his pistacorva, his rifle, on a snowbank. This kept the amount of snow dis snow disturbance from recoil at a minimum as not to give away his position while simultaneously stabilizing his aim. Then he waited and waited and waited for hours on end, staying mostly still in negative 40 degrees, surrounded by snow. Simo Heha put his patience to the test until finally the miserably cold, tired, and morale-stripped enemy marched into his killing field. Once he saw enemy soldiers, Simo slowly placed a handful of snow in his mouth to prevent his breath from being visible to the enemy. Once all this presentation, preparation was complete, all that was left was for one of the most decorated marksmen in Finland to pull the trigger. Remember, during his military training, Simo was able to hit a target from almost 500 feet away 16 times in just one minute. Not many Soviets escaped his iron sights. And this is how Simo Heha became known as the White Death. His efficiency as a sniper made him the deadliest sniper in history. If you Google that right now, quote, deadliest sniper in history, the name Simo Heha shows on your screen. He totaled more than 500 kills in just 98 days of combat. Because of the snipers of the Finnish National Militia, the Sojulskunta, Soviet marching trails were littered with bodies. The Soviets would travel to one of their own encampments only to find the living were replaced with frozen bodies still in the same position they were in up until they were shot on occasion they found bodies still standing upright it just goes to show how cold these soviets were while they were still alive even if there weren't even if they weren't taken out by an immediately fatal shot if a soldier in the winter war received a minor injury it was often fatal their bodies were so weakened from the extreme cold that they just didn't recover of course, Simo Heha wasn't the only Finnish sniper in the Winter War, but he was by far the best. His kill count was so high that the Finnish officers didn't believe all the stories that made it back to them. Just before Christmas in 1939, Simo took out 25 Soviet soldiers in just one day. That was his highest day count that was recorded. While the other Finnish marksmen used new model sniper rifles equipped with telescopic lenses or scopes, the White Death used his old Mosinagant from 1928. Using iron sights, as I said, allowed him to keep his head lower while aiming. This kept his overall profile lower to the ground, less chance of being spotted by the enemy. Also, scopes reflect, reflect light, which can give away a sniper's position from a very far distance 
if the sun hits the lens. This is what gave away many of the Soviet marksmen who were sent to counter-snipe Simo. While nestled in his sniper's nest, Simo would spot a glint from their scopes and take out his hunter with his quote-unquote outdated rifle. Stories of the White Death may not have been believed by Finnish officers, but the Soviets had no choice but to believe them because they were the ones retrieving all the bodies. Once his kill count got so high, he became infamous in the Soviet camp. Simo's enemy resorted to firing artillery in an area that he was believed to be lying in wait. But Simo was smart. He would let targets pass if taking them out would give up his own position. So their artillery strikes missed every time. Uh, they only ever seemed to uh, scratch or tear up his jacket. That's it. And it made the Soviets look just downright foolish. When artillery shells failed to take out the White Death, the Soviets sent in and famously decorated sniper of their own to take him out. The Soviet sniper killed a number of Finnish officers and waited for Simo to react to him. Day after day, this Soviet sniper waited for the infamous White Death to give away his position, but he saw nothing until one day the Soviet sniper thought he saw Simo earlier, uh, earlier in the morning for sure, but missed his first opportunity to kill. So he thought he would just wait there and see if he if uh, Sima would give up his position again. But the hours ticked away. As the sun began to set, the Soviet sniper thought he must have missed Simo retreating or something. So he got up and began to march back to his camp. But just as the Soviet gave up, just as the sun was setting that day, Simo shot him right in the head. It was a battle of patience, and the white death had won. By this time, the Soviet became depressed, de desperate. <laughs> They were probably depressed too, but they were desperate. They sent out their troops with large, clunky metal shields. These theoretically would protect the soldiers from Finnish snipers, but in reality, all they did was slow down the already slow Soviet advance. Plus, the Finnish snipers like Simo just aimed for their kneecaps instead. The name White Death came from the Soviets. The name in Russian is pronounced Balaja Smert. Uh, let's, <laughs> that's terrible. Let's just see how Forvo pronounces it. Thank you to those uh, unknown Russian people who helped me pronounce those things. Now, they spoke of the White Death as an apparition instead of a man. They said Simo was both everywhere and nowhere, ever leaving a trace. Simo simultaneously crushed the Soviets' morale while boosting that of his fellow Finnish soldiers. He was the ideal soldier in a general's eyes. That's what they need. Just 80 days after the Soviet invasion in on February 17th of 1940, the Finnish government declared Simo an official hero of Finland, which I didn't even know was a thing, an official hero. It's pretty cool. He was promoted, given a custom-made Sako M2830 rifle, and awarded by the Finnish chief commander the Kolak Cross. But in March, March came and the fierce Finnish winter began to thaw. While the world was astonished by the Finns' ability to hold off the Soviets for this long, it became apparent that it wasn't a sustainable defense. With winter on its last few days, the Finns were losing their advantage. Without the six and a half feet of snow and brutally low temperatures, the Finns were losing this edge that they had relied on for so long. Plus, the Soviets were learning to overcome these disadvantages. You know, they're not that dense. Historians, historians widely agree the Soviet superior numbers alone would have eventually won out the war. But it's not like the Soviets, you know, this is the only war they're worried about. They were fighting on lots of fronts. March 6th, the Soviets gained a new wind and began another offensive on the Kola region. Instead of advancing past 
the front line as he usually did for his sniping post, Simo joined the fighting at the very front line. Simo's kills that day uh, were not recorded. Some sources say he killed just a few men. Others say he killed about 40 men. And on March 6, 1940, Simo was seriously wounded after an explosive bullet fired by a Red Army soldier hit his lower left jaw. After the battle, Simo was found unconscious and believed dead, and he was placed in a pile of dead bodies. A fellow soldier looking for Heha on orders from his commanding officer noticed a leg twitching among the pile and found Simo alive. He was evacuated by fellow soldiers who said that, quote, half his face was missing. The bullet had removed his upper jaw, most of his lower jaw, and most of his left cheek. Rumors of Simo Heha's death spread around in Finland and the Soviet Union. When Simo woke up from his coma on March 13th, the peace was declared, uh, ending the Winter War. Coincidence? I think not. He woke up, they gave up. In accepting the armistice, Finland lost 11% of its territory, including the country's second city of Vyborg. And the Winter War left 25,904 Finns dead, and the Soviets lost at least 126,875 soldiers, but some estimated as high as a quarter of a million dead Soviets. For about 25,000 square miles of territory, the Soviet Union had paid a heavy toll. For the big dog that was the USSR, Finland was the tenacious flea that they were happy to be rid of. Recovering in the hospital, Simo read about his own death in the newspaper and sent a letter or sent a paper to to correct the uh, newspaper. Hey, uh, I'm not dead. When the war ended, he was promoted to second lieutenant. He spent 14 months recovering from his wounds and endured 26 surgeries. Oh my gosh, 26 surgeries on his face. After his battle wound, Simo would have liked to served in the continuation war as well. However, he was not allowed to because the injuries to his face were so severe. The continuation war being when Finland fought alongside the Nazis. So maybe it's good he didn't tarnish his uh, reputation that way. Now, Simo estimated in his private wartime diary that he shot around 500. And Simo's diary, which covers his experience in the Winter War from the 13th of November 1939 to the 13th of March 1940, was accidentally found by those who were studying Simo Heha's war history. It had been hidden in, old, in an old drawing box for decades. All of Simo's kills were accomplished in fewer than 100 days. That's an average of five per day at a time of year with very few daylight hours. His kill count as a sniper had based, was based on Simo Heha himself with the con- for confirmation of his comrades and only those who were killed for certain were considered. No count was taken when several snipers shot at the same target and men ki- killed with a submachine gun as a group leader were never counted. Simo never discussed it publicly, but his own private diary discovered in 2017 shares a figure. He begins by stating that, quote, this is my sin list and estimates the total number shot by him to be around 500. As I said, it just goes to tell you what kind of guy he was that he called it his sin list. His final kill count was always will always be debatable, but most historians settle on the official tally of 505. The unofficial tally is upwards of 720 kills when factoring in submachine gun kills with SIBO becoming a symbol uh, early on in the war and bodies being lost in the snow, it is hard to find a concrete number. And after the war, other than having the deformity from his battle scar, Simo made a full recovery. 
The kicker was, after all, after all that, Simo could not return or retire to his old home, as it now was within those 25,000 square miles that the Soviets claimed after the war. But he found a new home, not far from his old one. He became a successful moose hunter and dog breeder. He even hunted with the president of Finland. However, he was also met with hate and with even death threats. Some people did not accept the actions, his actions during the Winter War. But Simo was known as a modest man who never boasted of his wartime merits. He spoke only sparsely about the war. He was asked in 1998 how he had become such a good sniper, and his answer was simply practice. He was asked in 2001, shortly before his 96th birthday, if he felt remorse for killing so many people. He replied, I did what I was told to do as well as I could. There would be no Finland unless everyone else had done the same. He spent his last years in a war veteran's nursing home in Hamina, where he died in 2002 at the age of 96. He was buried in his hometown. Simo Heiha, the White Death, outlived the USSR, the Soviet Union, by over a decade. Now that is a footnote worth mentioning. For this episode, i got to give credit to a few people. I must give credit to the badassoftheweek.com by Ben Thompson. His blog was the first I ever heard of the White Death, and it's, one of, it's a very entertaining blog. And I also got to give props to the YouTube documentarian Indy Nidell. Indy does a great job of entertainingly and accurately describing history on YouTube. I also checked out some of old Finnish war propaganda. That was some wild stuff there. Thanks for tuning in, Huda Thunkers. Now go have yourself a happy Thanksgiving, especially this year. We all need to appreciate what we have. Till next time. Thank you.